We're kicking off a series called Your Most Important People. We want to help you have better relationships in your home, in your work, and with the people who matter most to you. Well, to launch the series, I've invited one of my favorite speakers. His name's Kurt Harlow. He serves as a senior pastor at Bayside Church in California. Bayside's one of the fastest growing, largest churches in the country. But far more important than that, you're just going to hear from Kurt a real heart that he loves people. He's really fun to listen to. He loves the word of God. And you're going to leave here better equipped in some of your most important relationships. Well, church family, will you show Kurt how much we love our people by just putting your hands together and give him a huge Connection Point welcome. Thank you, Connection Point. So good to be here. Welcome everyone online. I am so thrilled about this series because I believe right now how we connect with each other, how we find our most important people is probably the most important thing, not only that you'll do, but that you'll help other people do. What do I mean by that? I've entitled our message this weekend, The Holy Kiss. The Holy, I want you to lean towards your neighbor right now if you don't know them and give them a kiss. If you just, no, don't do that. Okay, look at that guy could not resist. He kissed his wife. You know her, sir. I know you know her. Uh, It's a weird season for kissing and connecting and all that sort of stuff. But there is a biblical concept here. I've subtitled it, Building Great Families in a Fractured World. How many would agree with me that our world is a bit fractured right now? Okay, before I get into this, let me introduce my family, because I I haven't perfected any of this. I'm preaching at me as much as I'm preaching at you. I'm going to preach directly at my family and hope the shrapnel hits your family, because here's what's going on. Um, And by the way, I don't have a fancy family photo. I don't. I used to go speak places, and I showed them a fancy family photo. The last time we got together and took a fancy family photo, my wife needed six months counseling afterwards. So this is literally the last shot of every family member in my phone as of yesterday. That's my wife and I, and uh, we did a thing in L.A., and they took that shot. This is my 29-year-old doing what he does, coming to my house and eating pizza. And uh, then this is my 28-year-old. That's Dijon. You'll notice he looks a little different than the rest of us. Just a little taller. Um, that is Maddie. She is my middle child. She didn't dress like this normally. This is an outreach we did for our senior citizen homes recently. We did a little parade for them. And the last one is Emma, of course. She's the youngest, and she's my theater kid and uh, loves the spotlight. That's who I'm going to be preaching to. That's who I'm going to be talking about. Because I really do believe right now we've lost something. We've lost something. Can I just, uh, can I just be honest with you? Um, there's a problem. And the problem is that our families are in crisis. The problem is we've lost something very precious. Now, let me me just illustrate this with a story to get your mind in the right framework. How many here would admit to me, say, Pastor Kurt, I'm a parent. Raise your hand if you have a child, you own a child. Anyone here own a child? Still making the payments? Um, Okay, here's the second question. Kurt, I have temporarily lost my child at times. Temporarily lost your child. Okay. There's honest people and liars in this room. Good. Okay. Uh, We're at Costco. Uh, You have Costco in Indiana. You have Costco, right? Does anyone remember when Costco first came out? What a wonder it was. You'd walk in there and you'd be like, tires and a 30-gallon bucket of gummy bears. What is this place? 
And we would go to Costco every Saturday morning. We'd go to every Saturday. It was like a ritual with us. We'd go out to Costco, and we go to Costco this one day, and it's me and my wife and my three-year-old, three-and-a-half-year-old son, our first child, and a student named Tammy who lived with us, rented a room from us at that time. So it's the four of us. We go in Costco. So Jesse and I, we immediately go to the computers because he loves the computers, and then we go around, and while the girls are shopping, we do the free snack thing. So we, go, we, we rotate through the free snacks. Then I flip my coat. I flip his coat over to the backward side, we go get another free snack. That's the ritual. And so we get all the things, and we're going at the thing, and the Costco experience is, and I like it, I like it. Walmart does this, but they're sly about it. That Walmart wants to pretend that they're greeting you. Costco is just like a, a, a prison camp. They're like, give us the receipt. You're a shoplifter. Give us the receipt. And so there's a backup where they're looking at the receipts to make sure you're not a thief. And, and we get through that, and my wife says, where's the boy? And I said, well, you, you were watching him. And we both looked at the, the teenage girl that was with She said, it's not my child. I wasn't watching him. And all of a sudden, we realized we had misplaced the child. I went back into the little uh, place where they, they check your membership card. And I said, I, I need some help finding this child. They get on the PA. People start running around the store. A man comes up to me, and he says, about this big? And I said, yeah. A, a boy? Yeah. Wearing a blue jacket? Yeah. He said, I saw him get in the car with another person. I go out and I stand on that cement pole that's out there and I look over the parking lot this giant parking lot looking for evil cars we all know Honda Civics are not an evil car it's more like a Dodge van I'm looking for come on is anyone with me and I'm scanning hurriedly and then that's what had happened. You want to know what happened? You got to get through the passage with me. All right, Romans 16. Turn to Romans 16. Uh, the problem of families in crisis. Let me give you a little pretext before I actually get into the passage. There's four big problems I see in our culture right now. There's probably many more, but here's the four that will sober you up and why you need Romans chapter 16. First is media consumption and social connection. What's happening is the more media our children consume, the less they become good at the emotional skill of connecting with each other. Daily media use among children and teens is up dramatically from five years ago. That's a quote from before COVID. Right now, the amount of screen time behavior that our children have, as opposed to human interaction behavior, is way out of whack. Tweens and premature adulthood. So what happens when you don't have human connection, you uh, mess up the developmental period of children. The 12 to 14-year-olds of yesterday are the 10 to 12-year-olds of today, says Boost Friend of the Nickelodeon Network. They are marketing to make our children consumers earlier and earlier of adult products so that they can maximize the amount of fashion and peer pressure uh, uh, grooming that goes on. So what they're creating is this need to be to fit in. Our children don't feel like they fit in because too much screen time, and then they market to that need and force early adulthood. The opposite happens with our 20-somethings. 20-somethings are delayed into adulthood. The young adult labor force participation rate has returned to the 1972 level. Again, this is before COVID, this statistic. A decline that has accelerated since 2000. We are seeing 
Less and less 20-somethings get married. Less and less 20-somethings find a direction. Less and less 20-somethings decide on a major. More and more 20-somethings getting in debt for a major they no longer want to have a job in. And so, so one hand, we're making the 12-year-old grow up too fast. On the other hand, there's no place for the 22-year-old. And the last one is this, parents and divided households. Now, if you are a single parent, do not hear me criticizing you or your parenting at all. If you are not a single parent, don't hear me um, blaming someone else and removing you from this statistic. The truth is, we all have to own something that's happening in our culture right now. Single parents have more than tripled as a share of the American household since 1960s. In other words, in the 1960s, two adults were minding the children, now less than one is. And it's not, just, I, I, it's not good enough just to point to that family and say, that's a single adult family, or this one isn't, and not, so we're not to blame. And they are to, something deeper is happening in our culture that's causing us to not be able to embrace each other and stay with each other and work our fam- problems out. This is uh, the fruit of, the, the cause of the political divide. The political divide isn't causing this. We're causing this relationally, and the political divide is a manifest of this. What is it? Well, I believe the solution is found in Romans 16, 16. Especially in this, the second most repeated exhortation of the Apostle Paul. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Let's talk about Romans 16. If you're not familiar with the book, let me explain it to you. It is a masterpiece of theology. It is the one piece of theology that explains all the theology of Christianity in one piece and place. Many of the Bible uh, books of the Bible are occasional books. There's an occasion in which Paul is writing to. There's a crisis in Thessalonica, so he writes to that crisis. Romans is not an occasional book. It is a comprehensive book. Paul sits down and says, I'm on my way to Rome. I'm at the end of my ministry. I want to put all of the theology in one place. So from chapter 1 to chapter 15, it's a brilliant Mona Lisa level masterpiece of what is true about you, me, God, our sin, and what Jesus did about it. Just boom, 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 boom. Then at chapter 15, he stops and just goes on this Total greeting, loving, welcoming, shouting out, social media calling out the good deeds people have done, relational rant. To which the pinnacle of it is he says, you guys, greet one another by kissing. The Roman exhortation to kiss is far more than just lip touching lip or fist bump or handshake or kind and niceness. It's a deep call to embrace and it's powerful and radical. I'll explain to you right at the end why it's so radical. Okay, let's talk about this. How to rediscover the power of the holy kiss. The early church had violent opposition. The early church was more deeply and racially divided than we are. The early church had more strata separation between the rich, the poor, and the slave than we do. And yet in this violent opposition and massive problem, they grew more than we're growing. 
They succeeded more. By the time their grandchildren came around, they were on three continents with churches prospering in all three places. In another short generation, they took over all of Rome. How did they do it? And a more important question, could we experience the same thing? All of these problems I'm talking about, could they be reversed if we really understood what Paul's doing here in this 16th chapter, this, this neglected chapter, this chapter that doesn't feel as theological as the other ones? Here's, here's the idea, and I'm just going to go through four of the passages here. I want you to read the whole chapter at some point. We're going to go over probably more like 19 verses before it's all said and done. I only have 23 minutes. If you're still with me, give me an amen. Number one, celebrate servants. What we celebrate is what we get more of. What we celebrate and honor is what we multiply and produce. Our culture celebrates celebrity. Our culture celebrates achievement, success. Our culture celebrates physical beauty. And what we need to do is return to celebrating servanthood. I had a friend uh, named Joe Sikafus. Joe was an amazing guy. He came from Ohio originally. He went to Kentucky for a short while. He ended up in Missouri for a while. And each one of those places he went, he started ministries among secular college students. And, and, and students' lives would just be changed. Wherever Joe went, they'd just be changed. He was a credible thinker. He reminded, actually, me a lot of your pastor, John, here. Just the way he thought was so rich and beautiful and carefully, and it just inspired students. He wasn't like a friary preacher. He just like the rich content that made you think and learn and grow. And then he was great at, at leadership. He, could, he knew how to develop leaders, and he was great at worship. He could develop worship uh, as well. It was a really interesting gift that he could do the teaching and the worship. Just great at making teams and Every single place he went, the, the, the ministries just blew up. And not only did the ministries blow up, but the amount of leaders that would come out of his ministries and then go start other ministries. And at one point in his 50s, he said, you know what? I'm going to go to Scotland. I'm going to take my family to Scotland, and we're going to go to the universities in Scotland, and we're going to start ministry to them. We're going to go to Western Europe, a hard place. And he went over there, and guess what? It worked over there, too. Just student after student had their life changed. One day, he noticed his hands were a little sore. He thought he was playing guitar too much. So he went to the doctor. The doctor said, you've got some early arthritis. You know, take it easy. He took it easy, and yet the pain didn't go away. It got worse and worse and worse. He came back to America. He saw a physician here. The physician said, you know, this is probably not it, but I'm going to run this one test just to cancel and prove one thing out. And he ran a test, and it turned out the symptoms were actually the cause of or the symptom of a rare blood cancer. Within three months of that diagnosis, Joe passed away. Two continents gathered for his funeral. Europe and America. Churches packed out, Springfield, Missouri. Packed out, not a seat in there. Great leader after great leader comes up to the mic. And after it was all over, here's the thought I had. Not a single person today mentioned the size of his ministries. No one said he planted more groups, he had more students, he sent out more leaders. Not a single person celebrated the size of his success. When they were called upon to describe the life of Joe Zikafus, great leader after great leader came up and told of these micro-private moments where Joe served them. Where he threw his arm around him. 
where he gave them something that he didn't expect anything in return, where he said an edifying word to their soul that stood with them. My friend, in the end, our lives will be measured by the small secret acts of service we do in the name of Jesus Christ. And our significance and merit and the health of our relationships will not be defined by the car we drive or the account that we fill, but by the people we serve. Who is it that you're serving? Look at this first verse, uh, verses one through two. I commend you to our sister, Phoebe, the deacon of the church in Centuria, I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been a benefactor of many people, including me. Paul starts out this epic chapter by saying, here's a person that knows about generosity. She has benefited me. And Paul, in this context, is saying, when it got hard, when I was arrested, when I was a pariah, when I was rejected, when it was politically incorrect and socially dangerous to love me, she kept giving. Now, I'm going to say something, and I want you to know John didn't tell me to say this. Thank you to every one of you that during COVID has kept giving, has kept serving in generosity, because I know so many pastors right now that are scrambling to keep their church together. You who have been faithful, keep serving in that way. And if you haven't joined in that group yet, man, get in that group. Number one, celebrate servants. Here's the key question I want you to ask. Whose service set you up for success? Our founding pastor said this to us one day. He said, listen, there's two types of people. Those that are looking for a platform and those that are becoming a platform for others. Instead of finding success, promote the success of someone else. And you'll understand the relationship level that God is calling to us. I need to move on very quickly here. Look for powerful partnerships. Look for powerful partnerships. Uh, when I first came to California, I had this elderly pastor in Tracy, California named Al Eden. He took me under his wing. And he was the first guy with a thick southern accent that taught me that all southerners are not dumb. You know, you grow up in the Northwest and you kind of think of people talk like this, then they didn't go to school. And Al was like the smartest guy ever, but the thickest Oklahoma accent you ever heard. The one, the one time he, I was a little discouraged and he, he literally put his arm around me. He said, Pastor Kurt, I got some advice for you. Beware the mean sheep, they bite. He'd tell me, sometimes my wife and I, we just want to get an 18-wheeler, leave the ministry and cruise all over America with no accountability. But I'm faithful. I don't do it. He said this to me one day, and it was so perfect. He said, Kurt, you know that phrase, Jehovah Jireh for God in the Bible? How many know what Jehovah Jireh? You ever sing that old Jewish song? Okay, let me see the hands of the people that got saved in the 70s. Okay, where are you? This is old song, Jehovah Jireh. <clears throat> he said, Kurt, people misinterpret that song. They think Jehovah Jireh means God's our provider, and they're right. But it ain't just money that God wants to provide for you. This is a profound and theological thought. You see, God's not up there worried about your bank account. You want to pray a prayer that God will provide for? Ask God to deepen your relationships. Ask God to provide for you the right relationships and make you into the right relationship 
person. This is exactly what Paul says in the next verses. He says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all of the churches of the Gentiles are grateful for them. Who are Priscilla and Aquila? These guys are custom provision to the mission of the Apostle Paul. God looked down and said, the Apostle Paul needs friends that are extremely close. Not friends, family members. I'm going to dial in a couple. See, here's the thing about Priscilla and Aquila. He's originally from Turkey, where Paul's from. He has the same food choices. He has the same uh, um, understanding of how weather patterns should work and, and all the local cultural things. He was a kindred spirit. And Priscilla, she's got incredible cross-cultural missionary skills. She's a Gentile who speaks multiple languages, God said, I want to provide for Paul the perfect teammates. And that's what God wants to do for you. If you'll pray to him and ask him for that provision. God, who do I need in my life right now? What's the key here? Here's the key question. What kind of friend is God getting ready to send you or has already sent you, but you haven't noticed? Wake up to where God has put people. Because the people he surrounds you with are not arbitrary. They're Jehovah Jireh. They're his provision. And there's a mission and purpose for you and those people around you. To the next point, celebrate the servants. Look for powerful partnerships. God is adding people to your life. Some of you are calling out to God for friendships, and he's like, I've given them to you. You're just not accepting them. And here's the third one. Build relational wealth. Um, I just want to give you all some freedom right now. Here's the freedom. No one knows the future. Right now, everyone's becoming an expert. I've got opinion fatigue. So many people got opinions. Here's when COVID's going to end. Here's what's going on with this. Here's what's going to happen politically. Here's what's going on. I can prove to you that no one knows what's going on. No one, not a newspaper article, not a news article, not a Facebook post, nothing on Twitter. No one knows what's going on. No one ever knows what's going on, really. And now, especially, no one knows what's going on. Here's how I prove it. No one a year ago went, hey, I'm going hard on GameStop as a stock. I'm going to, hey, everyone, it's like a totally outdated format of retail, but let's put thousands of dollars into it. My 29-year-old is like, I think I might be able to buy a house in California because of GameStop. Listen, there's only one person who knows what's going on. His name is God. So here's my advice to you in this uncertain season. Build more than financial wealth. There's so much more in our world than financial wealth. Yes, build financial wealth. Yes, be a great steward of your financial wealth. But you better build your health right now. It's a very stressful time. Go to bed and eat something green. And you, you ought to build your spiritual wealth. Lean back into church. If you've gotten a little bit of fatigued in this season, lean back in. Lean back in. I'm going to tell you one specific way to do that here in a second. And then here's the wealth I really want you to build. And I want you to build it strong. And I want you to diversify. And it's relational wealth. Build relational wealth. So many people spend their whole life building their physical wealth and building their material wealth that they neglect their relational wealth and they get to the end of life and they're isolated, lonely, and depressed. My friend, I can't tell you how many well-to-do people who are miserable 
because they've only built one type of wealth. Okay, I'm not going to read this word for word. I'm going to have you count this with me. I am not going to actually pronounce the Greek in this passage because number one, Pastor John is watching this sermon and he's better at Greek than me and I don't want, I want to come back someday. Uh, number two, if I, I had a student in my ministry when I, when I was at UOP. She was from Greece and I said a Greek word in the sermon. She came up to me and corrected my pronunciation. I said, well, I was pronouncing the ancient Greek and she said, Kurt, no Greek person has ever said that word the way you say it. <laughs> so I'm not going to attempt the Greek. What I want you to do is I want you to try to count the amount of people Paul shows love to in these verses. We're going to start um, right around verse 5 and go to verse 15, 10 verses here. So um, we'll just put them on the screen. Where is it? So there's one. Here's the only one I can pronounce. There's two. Go to the next screen. Three, four. Keep going. Five, six, seven. Keep going. 8, 9, keep going, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, and notice, it's, it's go back to that one, go back, go, go back, the Hermes, it's two different Hermes, and he separates them by this guy, so they'll know that he got both of them, and then, uh, and the brothers and sisters, so the, yeah, we could add another 10 names for brothers and sisters, okay, go to the next Slide, the last slide. Uh, what are we like? 16, 17, 18, 19, and all the Lord's people with them. I think he mentions 26 people and 29 verses in the whole chapter. Why is he doing this? You know what upsets me theologically is how much people study the first 15 chapters and they don't study this chapter. Listen to me. Chapter 16 is the proof the chapters 1 through 15 work. Because out of this, Paul builds this credible, passionate, connected network of people that love each other. A lot of times in Christianity, we talk about the fact that God has called us to be nicer. Just be nice. I've seen the yard signs around here. Just be nice. That's a good thought. And, and, and to be friendly, that's a good thought. It's not a Bible thought. The Bible says, no, it's not enough to be good friends. The standard of relationship is family. You are my brother. You're my sister. We're in it together and inseparable. What's astonishing here is Paul has not been to Rome yet and doesn't know most of these people. And yet there's a connection that comes from experience the love, acceptance, and forgiveness of God. What kind of wealth are you building? Here's the key question, and it gets me to my final thought. Are you in a small group? Earlier, Neil came out here, and he encouraged people to get in a small group. Come on, can we be honest? How many here have ever been in a small group? Raise your hand if you've ever been in one. Okay, I said this is, uh, at the marriage family conference, but I'll say it here again. There's two types of small groups, awkward and awesome. Can we agree? Let's just own that. And I just want to encourage you, if you've been in an awkward small group, don't give up, don't give up. Sometimes you got to take the awkward and make it into awesome. Sometimes you don't get your preferences. Sometimes you got, but don't give up. From the earliest church, they met house to house. It was deeper connection. This setup right here is the I know everything, you know nothing setup. This is, this is a lecture setup. Jesus didn't teach lecture style. He taught laboratory style. You went and had the experiment. He healed the leper, then explained what it meant. 
We need that face-to-face interaction. And I want to tell you, if there's one thing that you can take out of this COVID season and double down on is commit yourself to a small group, show up, open up, and eat up. Bring some brownies. It sounded, it felt way worse than it was. Because there's nothing like a brownie to help the awkward, silent part where the one person who will never talk actually finds the courage to talk. You can tell I've been in a small group or two, right? Join a small group and then ask yourself, how good of a small group member am I? Am I throwing down for this small group? And this gets me to my last point. And I hope you've gotten something out of this. Celebrate servanthood. That's the way out of all of our problems. Look for powerful partnerships. God is actually providing the right relationships to you if you'll understand in faith that he's doing that. Build relational wealth. Go the extra mile. Go beyond friends to family. Be the sort of person that diversifies the amount of relationships in your life. And finally, be a bridge, not a barrier. So uh, I used to take students to Argentina all the time. Anyone here been to Argentina or South America, anywhere in South America? So all the churches in Argentina, they take this, this very seriously. And so what will happen is you walk into a church, and uh, they'll just come up and start kissing on you. And the missionary told us the first time we went, they said, don't, don't withdraw, don't be offended like Americans are, because we got our personal space, right? We got our personal space. Don't be offended. You got to lean in and kiss them back. So for the first few days, we pretended, but no Americans liked it. We were like, who are you? It's like the old men were kissing us, and the old women were kissing us, and the kid with the nose that was not quite wiped was kissing us, and there's everyone's kissing on us. And after about three or four days, you start getting over that American personal space perfectionism, and you start being okay with it. We stayed there the first time a whole month, and by the third week, You go from being okay with it to actually liking it. You show up in a room and people are enthusiastic that you're you're there. They're like, we're so glad you're here. Embrace me, brother. And a lot of times at the beginning, it would start off formally and they'd give you the two kisses formally. But as they felt you relax more and lean into it, it went from, it wasn't even kissing at all. It was an embrace. It was, I love you. I'm glad you're here. I see you, I see you, and I'm, 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 this is why I came, to meet with the Lord and to meet with you. And I, I started thinking, I thought, I'm bringing this back to America. This is in the Bible. Enough of our stoic, neurotic American ways. we got to follow the Bible. I'm going to march you to my church the first Sunday I'm back, and I'm just going to kiss on every person in that church. And I got back to my church, and I walked in, and I went, no, not so much. I'm not going to do it, no. It's too awkward. Don't want to kicked out. That'll cause an elders meeting. It's not easy. You see, I think we're, we're, we're putting up a lot of barriers even if we don't know it. I had a friend as a kindergarten teacher, and I asked her, I said, what's the hardest part of being a kindergarten teacher? And she said, well, teaching children personal space. Because when you sit down to read or have story time and stuff like that, you just crawl on each other. And some children are worse at it than others. And some, it's very distracting. So just classroom behavior, teaching them. I said, how do you do that? And she said, she said, I give them all a hula hoop. And for the first 10 minutes of the day, they walk around the class with the hula hoop. And they just go, this is my space. I got thinking about that. That's great for a classroom. It's horrible for a church. I know there's moments where you just have to have you and God 
I know there's moments where some of you are a little bit more standoff. I know COVID has messed everything up and we're trying to figure this all up. But I believe as we love each other the way Christ loved us, there's going to be a moment too where we got to throw down our hula hoop, cross that line and embrace again. Be human again. That's what it means. That's what it means to greet one another with a holy kiss. Think about this. Who is he talking to here? I want you to get what he's saying and why it's so radical. Okay, so there's groups of people that are coming together in the church. The first group that got saved there in Jerusalem was the Hebraic Jews. These are the Jews that stayed in and around Jerusalem, and they kept the law perfectly. These are the ones that want the revolution. They want to make Jerusalem great again. These are the ones, I mean, they're the pure ones, right? And they looked at the Jews that went out and lived in the Greek world and thought, you are less of Jews. Those are the Hellenistic Jews. So Paul is saying, hey, Hebrew Jews, kiss Greek Jews. Stop fighting. Come together. No drama. And then he takes both those two groups of Jews and he says, by the way, there's a bunch of Gentiles. They're called God-fearers. They follow the Old Testament, but they're not circumcised. And you guys think they're lesser. You guys think they're foolish. But you, now that Christ has kissed you, now that Christ loves you and accepted you, you got to go love and accept them. So go kiss those Gentiles that are following the Old Testament and show them that they're brothers and sisters, that they're part of the family. And by the way, both types of Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, now you got to go kiss the Romans and, and, and the Greeks that are total pagans. They don't even know the Old Testament. They just encountered Christ and now they're in the church trying to figure it out. Go embrace those. And by the way, while all the Jews are kissing all the Gentiles, the rich has got to kiss the poor and the free has got to kiss the slave and the male and the female. There's no longer any dividing wall. We all embrace because Christ embraced us. Because in our sin as we ran away, he ran after us. Didn't let us get lost. But paid the price to bring us back. Sitting on that cement culvert. Way across the parking lot. Way, way, way across the parking lot. I see this little figure. Wearing a blue coat. I look carefully. I think, I think that's my son. In front of the International House of Pancakes. And then, out of nowhere, comes this giant pancake costume person. They were the sign twirler. And they came out. And the pancake grabbed my child. And of course, I had the thought that all of you are having right now. Is that a good pancake or an evil pancake? I can't tell from this distance. So I did naturally what any loving father would do. I started running. I ran as hard as I could. I was going to run after that pancake with everything I could took. And I started running and screaming, hey, pancake! And I'm just running across that Costco parking lot. And the pancake, his little arm sticking out the side, the pancake sees me. I can just tell by the pancake body language. He sees me. And he grabs my son's hand and he does the one thing he can do from across the parking lot to prove that he's a good pancake, not an evil pancake. He starts dragging my son and running at me, full pancake speed. And so I run. And when I find that pancake, I hug that pancake like I've never hugged a pancake before. All the fear of losing 
And then who would I hug next? Who would I embrace next? Oh, that was the sweetest embrace. Just to feel his little heart beating. It's his little hand. I said, buddy, what happened? He said, daddy, I really wanted a pancake. Tell me what we did next. We went in and got a pancake. We all went and ate pancakes. Who's our God? He runs after us, pays any cost to get to us. And in our sin, when he finds us, he throws his arms around us and gives the holy kiss of his love, acceptance, and forgiveness. And then he says, let's go sit. Let's eat together. Let me tell you who you are that you might be someone that embraces another as well. Can I pray for you? Father God, I thank you for your love. So dynamic, so true, so real. I thank you for the Apostle Paul, that he wasn't just a great theologian, but he built this relational wealth. And this time I pray in the name of Jesus. And in this series, I pray in the name of Jesus. You would cause us to celebrate servants, look for powerful partnerships, and build great relational wealth as we make bridges to the people around us and give them a holy kiss.